0: The Women's Football Podcast, shining a light on the women's game. Welcome to the latest edition of the Women's Football Podcast. My name is Kieran and as people will be aware, I am no longer joined by my usual sidekick, Hamish, who has, unfortunately for me, decided to leave the show. But I do have an able replacement. Obviously, last time out, we had England's all-time record goal scorer, Kelly Smith. Unfortunately, on this occasion, I couldn't get Ian Rush, who is Wales's all-time leading scorer, but I have gone one better and I have got Helen Ward of the Wales Women's National Team. Helen, how are
1: you? I'm very well, thank you.
0: Thank you for joining me. We've got a lot to discuss on this show. We're going to have a chat about the UEFA Women's Champions League very briefly. We have interviews with New Portland Fawns signing Steph Catley. And I also spoke to the new Bristol Academy manager, Dave Edmondson. There's plenty more to discuss, including Tom Somani sacking as a US Women's National Team coach. So we better get cracking. The Women's Football Podcast
2: would like to thank our partners. Want more women's football? Subscribe to She Kicks magazine at SheKicks.net. And the Women's Football Podcast is part of the Soccer Desk Network. The Soccerdesk. The
0: Soccerdesk. OK, so first of all, apologies if you can hear some church bells in the background. Not a lot we can do about that sat in a coffee shop in Watford next to a church, but we will carry on as normal. First off, then, we will have a look at the. Oh, and they've just stopped. Let's hope they do stay stopped. Obviously, we're going to start with the qualifiers. I've got Helen Ward, Wales's all time goal scorer, sat next to me. So there's no better place to start than Wales's two games a 5 1 away win in Turkey and a 1 1 draw at home to the Ukraine. Hells, you went to the game in Klinethley. Do you want to tell me how that went? Because I actually missed it.
1: Um, the goals were fantastic, to be fair. They had an early setback with the Ukraine goal, Um, I think the cross that came in was deflected that took it away from Nikki. and the girl came in at the back post and put it in and from then on Ukraine were actually quite disappointing, I thought they sat back and were happy to just defend. Um, But The Welsh girls, they they kept the ball well, they kept probing, didn't panic. Unfortunate not to get a penalty, I thought, soon after the goal Uh, and Lauren Dykes had a good chance, it was from a well-worked move. Um, came up to half time and I was confident that they they could still go on and, and at least get a draw which they did in the second half with a well deserved goal um, and I actually thought they were the better side and, and could and probably should have won it so although we're pleased with the point um, it's a bit of a disappointment not to have got all three
0: I was going to say obviously England are the team that are leading the way in that group but it's going to be probably a, a competition possibly for second between yourselves and the Ukraine so you would have spoken to the girls afterwards do they Do they see it as two points dropped as opposed to a point gain? Because you're now probably going to have to go to the Ukraine and try and win out there.
1: Um, I think when you look at the performance, you could say it's two points dropped. um, Because, as I said, I felt that they thoroughly deserved the three points. But, you know, in the situation where we went behind quite early on um, and we fought back against one of the top ranked teams in in Europe, um, I think, is something we've not done before. So then you can look at it as a point gained and and it keeps us within touch in the group. We've still got to play Ukraine away from home, which is going to be one hell of a test. But, you know, a loss would have been disastrous and I think that would have almost ruled us out of second. You know, Um, I think England are probably running away with it. They've posted some ridiculous scores in the qualifiers so far, but they've still got to play Ukraine twice and they've still got to play us again. So, you know, it's quite an open group. If we can keep in there at the halfway stage, we're quite happy with how it's gone. And I know the girls will be fighting too for now, as they always do, um, to record points at every opportunity.
0: Now, obviously, I forgot to mention in the opening, Wales will be missing a certain individual for the rest of their qualification campaign. That individual is you. You've got some news for people that haven't heard, haven't you?
1: I have, yes. Myself and my husband are expecting our first child in early October. So I'll be missing the rest of this campaign and the season for Reading.
0: Now, I've got a funny story to tell about Hells regarding her pregnancy. I saw the Wales squad that was announced for the two qualifiers and I gave her a text and said, "Hells, why aren't you in the squad? And she texted me back and said, I knew you'd be one of the first to notice. I'm actually expecting my first child. She said, I don't know whether to announce it on Twitter and Facebook because I'm not quite sure what to do at the moment. So the following week I'm watching the women's football show on the BBC and Sue Smith, the Donny Rovers uh, striker, stroke winger, is doing an interview with Jane Ludlow and announces it on national television. So rather than announcing it on Twitter, Hells, obviously you had that in your back pocket, knowing that it was going to be announced to the world on television.
1: Yeah, um, that was a strange one. I was sitting at home on a Thursday evening, and I got a message from... Uh, Jane at Reading saying that they'd done some interviews and was it okay for them to announce it on the TV and I had a think about it and I thought well it saves me doing it I don't particularly like all the spotlight and attention of announcing it myself so I was happy to let someone else do it for me
0: can't be many pregnancies that have been announced on the television, but fair play to your house. Um, Back to the football. So we've talked about Wales. Another team that's flying high at the moment is Scotland. Two wins against Poland and Bosnia. You played against them in your European qualification uh, for Euro 2013. They're a nation really on the rise at the moment, aren't they?
1: Oh, definitely. They've got some unbelievable players. You know, the likes of Kim Little, obviously, but their squad is full of talent from back to front. The likes of Jenny Beattie, Rachel Causey, you know that's just a couple of their defenders they've got Hayley Louder, um, Emma Mitchell, there's all sorts of players that are playing at the top level in various leagues around the world Um, Jane Ross I think scored a hat-trick the other day or at least two I'm not sure um, so they've got talent through throughout their squad um, gone are the days when they relied on the likes of Julie Fleeting to, to bag their goals they've got people all over the pitch that can score and, and they're getting big results against big teams these days and you know, This this year I can support them and back them and hope they get there. But obviously last time we were we were fighting against them and had two really, really tough games against them. And um, from what I've seen and what I've heard, I, I think they'll push Sweden all the way and could even top that group.
0: Sweden will be the biggest test for Scotland in that group. We obviously spoke to Kosovari Aslani and I think she recognised Scotland as being their biggest test. Sweden, of course, won in Northern Ireland. Another result that was quite interesting was Ireland 2, Germany 3. Certainly a game that a few people watched online through streams and there was a good crowd in, in Dublin. Megan Campbell, a name that if people didn't know beforehand, certainly do now. An absolute annihilating throw that she can put into the box and Germany just did not know how to cope with it. Both of Ireland's goals coming from her long throws and if we're talking about the luck of the Irish, certainly the bad luck of the Irish occurred for them in that fixture uh, a questionable penalty with Anya Mittag being taken out and Simone Lauder converting the spot kick and certainly looked like a foul on Emma Byrne for the second goal from Lena Lotson and I don't know if you saw Melanie Leopold's goal but it was a strike from outside the box that was caught by the wind and looped over Emma Byrne but going back to Megan Campbell, you're a striker. To have a player like that who can launch such a bullet throw into the box, what sort of asset is it to have something like that?
1: Oh it's huge Um, and I think I mean, you've seen it in the men's Premier League that teams have found it hard to deal with the long throw. The likes of Rory Delap, who I hear worked with Megan Campbell when she was younger, I think it is—it's a—it's an asset. It's—it's it's different to a set piece, a corner, or a free kick because the ball is so flat when she throws it in, um, and it causes all sorts of confusion. Also, of course, she can't be offside from a throw-in, so it allows forwards and the attacking team to push right up onto the goalkeeper. If, if it's in that sort of area so you know as a striker you'd be looking to either get the flick on yourself to the throw or being in and around the the penalty area to to tap in the loose ends which they'll inevitably be um our manager we've got a couple of girls in the Welsh squad who have got a decent throw not quite the the length of Megan's but um we've got a couple that can throw the ball into the box and I know he's always keen to to get numbers in there to try and pick up the the loose ends. Even if the defender gets the first touch, how far it's going to go is is not always necessarily going to be cleared up the pitch. So you can always pick up balls on the edge of the box and get shots or crosses in from there. So I think it's a massive asset. And obviously against a world-class team like Germany to score two goals from it, it's it's obviously something that's going to cause lots of teams problems.
0: Certainly nearly a shock on the cards, left it very, very late Germany in that game. Other notable wins, big win for Spain, wins for France and for Norway away in Belgium. So, certainly the big teams making the most of their opportunities against some of the weaker nations. So, that will conclude our roundup. And when we come back, we will discuss Champions League and various other subjects with Helen. Download and subscribe to the show on iTunes. Just search for Women's Football Podcast. Okay, so this coming weekend, we have the semi finals of the Champions League obviously Tersey will square off against Birmingham and it will be an all German semi-final between Wolfsburg and Potsdam Birmingham overcoming Arsenal in the quarter final hells one of your former clubs i mean i think if we're brutally honest i don't think many people gave Birmingham a prayer but impressive result for them but it'll be a real test against Tersey won't it but talk about that win over arsenal that's that's some result isn't it
1: yeah it is um, and although i wasn't sure they'd do it i I had a little feeling that Birmingham could sneak it. I think they've they've recruited well in the close season. Um and Arsenal have obviously had some well documented um departures from their from their side. You know, it's difficult to replace the players that they've lost. Um saying that they've they've brought in some world class replacements, so perhaps they still went into it as favourites I, I don't know but you know Birmingham have got a, a good young side they've as I said they've brought in the likes of Remy Allen who I think had a terrific couple of seasons at Lincoln um, and she's, she's scored two goals over the two legs which has obviously helped them go through and I watched I watched the first leg um, online and I thought Birmingham Looked the better side. I thought they played really well and deserved the win. I only saw the highlights from the second leg, but again, they they seemed to create some very good chances and and caused Arsenal a lot of problems. So um, yeah, I think they thoroughly deserved to get through to the semi-finals, and it, and it's great to have another English side getting into the the latter stages of the Champions League um, and trying to upset the odds a little bit.
0: Yeah, and obviously we'll face Swedish side Tirsö in the semis. Well documented their financial problems. Um, possibility of martin not actually playing in the first leg she has an injury missed the recent uh, series of games against australia um, vera Biquete is this week has announced that she'll be joining the portland thorns so we'll be missing the damel svensk this season but it's going to be a tough test for birmingham certainly and i think that the win over arsenal will give them a, them a massive boost but i think tirasso will present a very very different opposition the likes of whitney engen megan klingenberg kristen press the american trio I've already mentioned Vera Bichette and, and Marta if she comes back for the second leg. Caroline Sager is obviously a, a, a well-established international midfielder and will add a lot of quality to that side. Um, as for the other semi-final between Wolfsburg and Potsdam, I genuinely can't call that one hells. I think it's very, very close, both strong in different areas. Uh, from a personal perspective, i am never hidden the fact that I could be sometimes biased. I'll be rooting for Potsdam because... Ada Hegerberg is one of our bloggers, so <laughs> I will obviously be rooting for Ada. But I think at the end of the day, it's going to be very interesting, and whoever comes through will, will obviously have the final in Portugal. And I think it will be over the two legs, very very tight. But staying in Europe, I will now move on to the fact that no, I won't actually. I'm going to move on from Europe. I'm going to move on to America because obviously there was a big piece of news that came out of the States last week. Tom Somani was sacked as the US women's national team coach after a win against China. 24 matches in charge, two defeats. I mean, that's ridiculous, isn't it?
1: Yeah. I mean, from an outsider looking in, it, it seems unbelievable that you can lose your job having had such a great record. However, American soccer, as they call it, is is the number one sport in the country for women. And I think there's so much pressure on them to do well and any sort of defeat or draw is is disastrous in their eyes. Um, but then he's not played a competitive game so how can you judge him? He's only played friendlies um, and to only have lost two of them and drawn a couple it, it seems very, very harsh to to lose your job over that. I mean, you'd, you'd think he'd at least get a chance in a World Cup or a, an Olympics or you know a major competition to prove his worth but I think they must have looked at the Algarve Cup results, which were a shock to everyone, um, and and said, no, he's not, he's not the right guy for the job. He's he's not coped well in a tournament environment, if you like, and and that'll be the end of it. But you know, he lost his job after a victory, which seems to be the strangest decision of
0: all. I mean, we're looking at the reaction of the players on Twitter that have, re- have reacted very, very upset about the departure. Lots of people saying a real gentleman, really disappointed to see him go. I mean, can we really judge him on Algarve Cup results? Of course, the defeat against Denmark was disappointing. Of course, the defeat against Sweden was going to be one that everyone has to lose a game eventually, and it did end their run of their unbeaten streak, so to say. But they're both good sides, Denmark and Sweden, aren't they? So it's not like they've lost to a minnow. And you know, during his his tenure, they came up against teams like Australia and New Zealand and Germany and Canada. You know, these are strong sides that they've come up against and remained undefeated. So I, I just don't understand that one. I mean, you obviously work under Yamo Maticainen for Wales, there was a bit of confusion over his role. He resigned and then he came back and it looks like he's going to be staying. I mean, how important is it to have some stability and work under a coach that ultimately players can can get on and can respect?
1: Um, In my experience, it's huge. It's difficult to play for a manager or coach that, that you're not particularly comfortable with. I'm not saying that you need to be best friends, of course I'm not. That's not why you're there, not why they're there. Um, but I think you need to play for someone that you respect um, and and that you, you sort of understand. Um, and as you said, there was a bit of confusion and a bit of worry when it was announced that Yamo was going to leave his position within the Welsh FAW. But luckily for us, he's decided to carry on with the senior team. He no longer takes care of the uh, youth teams, the 17s and the 19s um, and solely focuses on on us, which is great for us. But I, you know it does put a bit of worry into the future of women's football in wales but for now he's looking after the senior team and if we can get ourselves into a major competition then that could bring up the youth in itself um but in terms of having a manager that is you know stable like you said it, it is massive if if we'd have lost him now it would have upset our whole campaign i'm sure um and so for all the players to come out and support um tom it seems a strange decision that you know, there's rumours that it was player power and things like that, but from the reaction that you've just described, I can't see that that that's the case. Um, so, and yeah, I mean, I'd I'd be baffled if I was in their situation um, and a little bit worried about what what lays ahead.
0: I think what was even more baffling was U.S. President Sunil Galati's conference call that he had with journalists. I wasn't actually able to sit on it because I wasn't invited. <laughs> Not bitter. But I did follow it on Twitter and, and spoke to a couple of journalists that I get on with afterwards. And I think there was the agreement that we don't actually know why Tom Somani was sacked. I think it was very unclear. Um, I think the Algarve Cup results didn't help. It was a massive dent to the, to the reputation of the US women's national team to finish so low in the competition. But as we've already discussed, it's not an Olympics, it's not a World Cup to judge an individual on a, on a few games in a what is essentially a meaningless competition. Doesn't seem to make sense to me, but that's the way that it goes. But obviously, they did have two wins over China that were comfortable. Uh, Another couple of series of of internationals that took place was between Australia and Brazil. One win apiece. Good result for the Australians. I mean, I i look at that Australia crop hells, and I don't know how much you know about them, but for me, they've got some of the best youngsters coming through, actually, in world football for me the likes of Sam Kerr, Caitlin Ford, Steph Catley. Katrina Gorey all playing in top competitions. I mean, do you look at that Australian team and think, as you know, in time they could be a force in women's football?
1: Well, their their recent results seem to suggest that they're almost there. They're getting big results, as you said, against against the top teams. Um, I think their league being at a different time to most of the other top leagues in the world probably helps because it allows them to play at home. And then come away into Europe or America and play in in the top flight leagues uh, over this way. So, you know, from hearing what Jess Fishlock says about the Australians when she's been over to Melbourne, I think they've got a lot of talent and a lot of promise in their side. And if they're managed right and and they keep progressing in the way they are, then, yeah, for sure, I think they're going to be right up there and, and creeping up the world rankings quite fast
0: beat Brazil, hell of a result. Well, it was a rubbish link into that uh, section of the show. I don't deny that for a second, but there was a reason for it. And the reason for that was that I managed to catch up with one of those young stars, Steph Catley, who uh, just won the W League with Melbourne Victory and has recently announced that she will be joining the Portland Fawns for the NWSL after the upcoming Asia Cup. So I chatted to her about various topics, including the Asia Cup, the NWSL and the W League, and here she is. Steph thank you for joining us.
3: Thank you for having me.
0: So nowhere better to start than the Matildas and obviously the week that we are recording you have just overcome Brazil in a 2-1 friendly win. That is impressive to say the least. How was the game and and how pleased were the squad to overcome them?
3: Yeah for sure it's been um, it was a long week in camp and it was a pretty nervous one leading up to the game. You know Brazil is such a world class team and we've obviously got quite a young team at the moment so um, we had confidence in our squad we've been together a while and uh, been in and out of camp for the last year or so um, together Together a lot so yeah we had a lot of confidence going in and I thought um, you could see that in the way that we played I thought we were a bit unfortunate in the first game um, to not come away with a draw or a, a win even um, but yeah to get the win in the second game was awesome
0: I mean it's, it, you mentioned Young players, you are 20 years old yourself. You've got players around you like Sam Kerr, Caitlin Ford, no age themselves. I mean, it must be encouraging for you being a part of a side that you look ahead and think, do you know what? If we keep this team together and develop, we're going to be a real force in women's world football.
3: Yeah, for sure. It's it's very, it's very, very promising for the midfielders that we're all so young. Um, but most of us have had quite a bit of, quite a bit of experience Um, already on the world stage like Sam and Caitlin um, have played in a World Cup and they've been to Olympic qualifiers and um, won an Asian Cup so they've done so much already and um, obviously there's still the older figures there that are that guide us and um, give us advice when we're sort of struggling but um, yeah, for, for a group of us we've come up together through all the under 17s, under 20 systems. so we know each other really well and I think that helps on the field.
0: How important is that to come through with, with players that you've worked with at different age levels? Obviously you're working with players, you mentioned older players with the likes of Lisa Davana, but obviously you've, you're going into that setup with players that you've played with at under 17s, under 20s. How does it help? Having played with those players, and how does it help mould in with players that have been, you know, around the setup for a bit longer?
3: I mean, I think it's massive. Um, coming in from some of the younger age groups, especially when we're first coming into the Matildas, I had um, Ashley Brown and Ray Br- Davey, who are my best friends, coming with me, which made the process a lot easier. And um, I mean, coming in with the other girls as well from the seventies and twenties. Knowing that many people around the team who are already sort of solid in the Matildas was was massive, and as we've um, moved on and played some games together, it's you can just see that the chemistry is kind of already there on the field, so it definitely helps a lot.
0: Experienced side, despite the young age, you've obviously come off the back of a W League season where you've overcome the odds and and won the competition with Melbourne Victory you captain the side as well. What sort of responsibility did you feel as captain and how do you think it's helped you over the course of the last six to nine months leading that side?
3: I mean, I didn't feel a whole lot of responsibility. I felt throughout the season I had um, entire team support and I was learning day-to-day from the likes of Lisa Devano and Jess Fishlock and, um, you know, the captaincy was incredible. I, I learned so much from that experience and um, I just want to keep building on my leadership and be able to um, use it as a strength in the future for sure um, but yeah the grand final was amazing but it it didn't really add any extra pressure it was all just sort of about making sure all the um, young girls were settled and um, everyone knew their roles and that we were going out there and we were going to win
0: it that day. You say making sure the young girls are settled, I, I hate to keep mentioning it, but at 20 years old <laughs> yourself, you're not exactly old. How, how it's true, do-
3: it's true, but I mean in the W League, I suppose I've been around, I think it was my fifth season, so um, for some of the girls who had just sort of come in and they were playing their first final series or something like that, I mean I suppose I had a bit of advice but yeah it, it's true I'm still very young and the entire the entire season I was just learning of um, other leaders around me as well.
0: Do you feel any element of pressure I mean obviously Dave Edmondson put a lot of faith in you making you captain and giving you the armband your name is mentioned quite often I speak to people in Australia colleagues that cover the game and your name is frequently mentioned as a player to to look out for do you feel any pressure as a 20 year old Having your name mentioned left, right, and centre.
3: I don't think so. I I think it's only it it only helps to to drive me. I think that I, as much as I'm mentioned, it's more. I'm focusing on what I want, and I know that I have goals. And um, it's yeah. I think it just drives me. I don't. I don't see it as pressure. I think it, it can only help build me as a player and make sure that I do get to the places that I want to go.
0: We spoke off the recording just before we came on. You played in Melbourne alongside Lisa Devanna, Jess Fishlock last year. Big characters. Give me a bit of insight into what it's like playing alongside those two and have you got any anecdotes, funny stories of of working alongside them?
3: Every day is funny with Jess and Lisa. They're they're both incredible personalities off the field but together they're actually hilarious. Uh, They both feed off each other and um, they became very close over the season. Um, it's awesome to, to watch them off the field and on the field. They were also incredible, you know, the way they, they connect with each other in the forward half. And I think probably half of our goals came from those two working together. Um, but yeah, oh, in terms of funny stories, I probably can't think of one off the top of my head. But um, yeah, they're brilliant.
0: <laughs> I've digressed a little bit. You've obviously got the Asia Cup with the Matildas coming up in May. You've got Vietnam, the hosts, you've got Jordan and you've got Japan in your group. What's the sort of thoughts going into the competition?
3: Yeah, well, um, we've still got had a, we've got a few friendlies and um, we've just been using them to fine-tune our structures and stuff like that. But obviously, um, we're defending champions and we want to go back and we want to do the same thing. Um, so we've got Japan in our group, which is obviously going to be a massive challenge. We, we love versing Japan; they're such a class side. Um, so yeah, all our preparations just going towards um, those games, and we're really excited for them.
0: Lisa Devanna said in an interview with us a couple of months ago that playing against the teams from Asia is is some of the hardest because they keep the ball, they are very energetic, very you know technical. Would you agree with that? And um, you know, do you see Obviously, Japan are going to be the biggest test, but how do you prepare to try and overcome a test like that?
3: Uh, definitely, I agree. Um, the Asian teams, you're always in for a battle, sort of, no matter who you're versing. And um, I that from a young age, coming through the 17s and 20s, it, um, it's never easy. We never qualified once through those youth groups. And um, one of my first, uh, it might have been my second game for the Matildas, we went over to Japan and versed them over there. and... We got an absolute smashing. <laughs> we got um, really taught a lesson, and individually as well, I, I learned so much from that game in terms of defending and the way they move the ball is incredible. And it's um, you know something that we're going to have to have a plan for when we go over there and to overcome it. But hopefully, we can.
0: And it's it's a double whammy, really, isn't it? The Asia Cup for you because obviously, not only is it a competition that has a trophy at the end of it, but the top, is it four or five teams from the competition qualify for the World Cup in Canada next year?
3: Yeah, exactly. It's, um, that's you know, a massive aim for us when we go over there. Um, it's always in the back of your mind at the very start of the, the tournament um, that this is, this is going to be leading to a World Cup. So that's huge for us. We need to qualify, and um, so we need to go over there and do the job,
0: get okay. it done. And obviously when you finish in Asia... It was announced recently that you will be joining the ranks of the NWSL, joining the likes of Sam Kerr, Caitlin Ford, Lisa Devanna, lots of different Australian players. Your first season playing out in America, how much are you looking forward to that?
3: Yeah, I'm. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. It's. It's been hard to sort of think about because I've had so much going on with the national team, and it's. It's hard to take your mind from one team to the other too quickly but um, yeah I've allowed myself to get a little bit excited so um, yeah I can't wait
0: to get over there how did you get involved in that move obviously you're going to be playing alongside the likes of Alex Morgan, Christine Sinclair, Nadine Angara, uh, Veronica Buquette has just joined in the last week a great challenge for you no doubt how did you find out about the move and, and what was it that kind of tempted you to go out there
3: uh, well Paul got in contact with me and um basically just uh, said they were looking for an attacking fullback and um, we spoke for a while and it, it didn't really take much thinking. I, I already knew that I really wanted to go overseas um, and it sort of just popped up and it was sort of the perfect thing for me because I did want to go to an English-speaking country for my first time going overseas and um, America is such a great league and, you know, Portland were the champions last year and um, Obviously, this year, they'd already made some incredible signings. So um, it was a no-brainer for me, definitely.
0: And I guess final question from me would be, we mentioned the Asia Cup, we mentioned World Cup qualification. Is the ultimate sort of long-term goal at the moment. Canada 2015, getting on that plane and and representing your country in your first World Cup? Yeah, it
3: almost gives me shivers when you say that. It's been my goal since I was a little tacker. Um, you know, I knew I wanted to play for Australia and I knew I wanted to go to a World Cup. I watched last year's one on the couch and said to myself that I wouldn't miss another one. So I'm just going to keep trying to keep my position in the team and um, keep performing on a daily basis, working hard so that I can get
0: there. Well, Steph, it's been an absolute pleasure. I think anyone that's listening in will hopefully be keeping an eye on not only your progress now, but your career going forward. Because certainly from what I've heard from... The likes of Dave Edmondson and Paul Riley, who I've spoken to in the last few weeks, both speak very highly of you, and genuinely do wish you all the best for the Asia Cup and also for the NWSL out in Portland.
3: Awesome! Thank you so much for having me.
0: The Women's Football Podcast. Follow the podcast on Twitter at WFPod. Okay, so that was Steph Catley talking all things Australia and various other topics. Now, one thing I've learned from Hamish not being by my side is always write your running order down because he would be the man that would normally do that. He's not here. It's my responsibility to take that on. And I didn't. When I said earlier, I'm now staying in Europe and then moved on. I should have been staying in Europe because the Women's Super League in England starts this week. And We had our preview with Kelly Smith for the WSL1 and we have an interview with Bristol Academy manager Dave Edmondson coming up shortly. But, of course, the competition this year will be two divisions, Helen. Uh, you obviously okay, won't be playing this year, but you were due to represent Reading women, dropping down a division from Chelsea. I guess that's an indication of the respect that the players have for the second division this coming year.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, there's been a, a few players that have dropped down into into the WSL too but I think with the offer of promotion, you know, on the cards if your team does well then, you know, you could be playing for six months down here and, and then get yourselves back into the top flight again. So I think there's an abundance of talent around the league. Um the selling point for me personally was that Jane Ladlow had taken over at Reading who obviously I've played with um for Arsenal and Reading and have a, a huge amount of respect for and um the team she's built I think is is fantastic. is full of young talent um, and with a bit of experience thrown into it as well. And I think that's the same for most of the teams in the league. Um, there's a few unknown quantities, um, the likes of Yeovil, Barnet, or London Bees, as they're now known. You know, they've they've sort of come up quietly, but I'm sure they'll have um, great sides ready to compete and and hopefully get themselves up into the into the WSL one. So I think it's going to be a fantastic league this year.
0: Obviously, when we look at the teams, it's a 10-team division. Um, for me personally, you're looking at probably Sunderland and Doncaster as maybe the leading teams in that division. Doncaster managed pretty much to retain most of the players from last season, which I think is a credit to them because obviously they were quite hard done by with the relegation to the WSL2 that was completely taken out of their hands. Um, but I look at the players like Jess Sigsworth, Millie Bright. Obviously, they've still got Sue Smith and, and various other experienced players. Sunderland. I don't think you can look past Beth Mead. For me, one of the best players in the division, a predator, has scored a lot of goals over the last couple of years. Um, I look at uh, a few of the others, Steph Bannon, the captain, Kelly McDougall. Uh, they've got some really, really good players in that side. But there's there's other teams in there that I think will push. You mentioned the Oval. They've obviously got a couple of your Wales teammates, Helen Blizzard and, and Katie Sherwood making... Her comeback. I want to talk about Katie because obviously she blogs for us i mean what what sort of benefit will she bring to that the oval team massive massive influence in that midfield won 't she
1: yeah she'll um, she 'll be a huge player for them. I think I spoke to her the other night and she said she 's not quite ready yet to to be starting games. I think she's she 's still building up her fitness um since having her second child um last year but she when, when she's back to full fitness she's she's a hell of a player. I loved having her on my side. Um when I played with her for Wales. She she's a ball winner, she's she's gonna battle, she'll win everything, but she's decent on the ball as well. She's, she sometimes gets overlooked as just a you know a destroyer in there, but she's she's good on the ball, she can find a pass. And she's been known to nick the odd goal or two here and there. Um so I think once she gets to full fitness, she'll be she'll be massive for them. The experience she's got, and the the composure and the ability she's got, she'll she'll help bring on all the players around her. And I think she'll be a big signing for them.
0: She's known to pick up the odd goal or two. She's also known for picking up the odd yellow card or two as well. So uh, behave yourself, Katie. Um, but also, we can't not look at your own club, Reading. Obviously, we know you're not going to be playing. But there's a certain striker that I think people admire in the division, Frank Kirby. Certainly a player to look out for. England under-23 international. She's lethal, isn't she? She's
1: she's a quality player. I'd heard a bit about her before I went to um, Reading. Obviously, she stole all the headlines for the British Uni team last year in Russia. Um, and speaking to Naomi Cole, who I was at Chelsea with last year, he was in that squad, she just said she's, she's ridiculous. The pace she's got with and without the ball is frightening. Um, the ability she's got to take a player on... She can finish. She can hit them from miles away. She can, you know, get in for the tapping. She's, she's a very good little player. Um, so if she can stay injury free for Reading, I think she'll be one of the players to watch in the league this season. She's, she's got a, a good head on her shoulders. She's not getting carried away with it all. Um, and I think, yeah, she she could be one of the players to watch. Fortunately for us, that hopefully she'll be scoring the goals to to propel us up the league.
0: Another player to watch is your Wales teammate, Sarah Wiltshire. I was at Watford Ladies against Bristol Academy a couple of weeks ago uh, in a friendly match, and Sarah scored an absolute worldie from outside the box of her left foot, bent it past Mary Earps, who has recently been called into the England squad. So, you know, certainly no no mean feat, you know, being able to do that. But, I mean, she's another one, isn't she, in that division that adds real quality and for me, actually, is probably good enough for the WSL1.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've I've known Sarah since she was... I was going to say since she was tiny, but she still is, but um I've known her since she was a kid. She came into the Watford side when I was still there, and at that time you sort of thought, you know is she going to be strong enough to to play senior women's football, but she's come on leaps and bounds. And I think the troubles that Watford had have actually brought her on as a player they've made her a lot tougher a lot. Um, a lot stronger and a lot more streetwise on the pitch and and she 's become a huge, huge player for Watford and she's also cemented herself into the starting eleven for Wales, which is no mean feat you know coming into an international team and and get your, getting yourself in the starting eleven more or less straight away and staying there is is pretty good and, and she 's an important player both for club and country as you said she can she can hit them with her left and her right foot um, she's got a lot of pace. And she's a lot stronger than she looks for her size. Um, and again, if Watford can keep her fit and healthy, then then she'll definitely be a player to watch as well.
0: Obviously, I've never hidden the fact I'm a Watford fan, so I'll certainly be keeping tabs on how they're getting on. Added Bonnie Horwood from Lincoln Ladies, who I think will be a big player for them. And Gemma Bryan, who used to play for Charlton, has now come back from America and, and has joined the ranks as well. So certainly... For me, they will be challenging after finishing runners-up last season. But you, you mentioned earlier some unknown quantities. Durham FC, the Durham Women's Football Club, certainly not a team that I know that much about. Oxford United, not an awful lot. But all I, what I do know is that former Watford legend Les Taylor is managing them, so I'm sure that he will have them well drilled. London Bees, again, not massively familiar with what they've got, but obviously I think over the course of the season... We'll be looking at what they can produce. And Aston Villa have got Sherry McHugh, obviously, has played for the England under-19s, so she will be, uh, you know, one to watch. But they did lose Megan Walsh, as Hamish mentioned in our last show, to Everton. But obviously, moving on from the WSL two to the WSL one, which kicks off this week, some big games. Obviously, being a former Chelsea player, I'm going to assume that you're going to be looking out for them, Hells. But very quickly, what's your uh, what's your views on the first division in the WSL?
1: Um I think again it's going to be a very competitive league I think all the teams have strengthened um the likes of Chelsea obviously have added more talent to the to the squad um and if they can get playing well together then then they'll definitely be a threat um Liverpool I think will still be up there they've they've lost a couple of players to injury and they obviously lost um one or two um during the close season to other clubs abroad um, but the players they've brought in, the likes of Gemma Davison, Martha Harris, both had good seasons last year with their clubs and I think they'll only bring more quality to the side that they already had. So I think they'll still be up there. You've obviously got Man City who um, have signed the sort of a core of the England side, if you like, um, which will obviously make them very strong and then have filled it up with youngsters and existing players around them and one or two others, so I think they'll be strong. Um, the likes of Everton, okay, they lost a few players and haven't necessarily made any major signings, but they're always a good side. They've always got good youngsters coming through. They've got Firm Whelan coming back, who who I think is a fantastic defender, always found it hard to play against her, and she'll be like a new signing. So, you know, all the teams, all the teams look strong. Notts County, again, made a lot of signings. Um, so it's, it's a really difficult league to call, to be honest. Um, I think Liverpool probably end up in the top two again, but you know anything around that is, is anyone's guess. I think it depends on the starts that teams get. It's only a short league, um, so it's important to get a good start. And if you can do that and gain a bit of momentum, like Bristol did last year, um, I think those teams will be in with a good shout.
0: Liverpool tackle Man City on BT Sport this coming week. Hamish said he thinks this game will be quite telling. He was quite open that he doesn't think Man City will do very much this year. It's a big game, that one, isn't it? It probably will say a lot about how Man City might shape up this season and certainly whether Liverpool can continue their, their form from last year.
1: Yeah, it'll be huge. As um, as as you said, as I said, Man City have signed um, a lot of the England players um, but have still kept a lot of the players around them from their, their squad last year. So... You know whether those players are ready to step up or not. I don't know. I I, I don't know much about them myself. But I'm sure the manager will have had them training uh, a lot over the over the course of pre-season. And such a big game on the TV, they're definitely going to be up for it. And it, and it could be a more difficult game for Liverpool than many might think. Um, but Liverpool are, are, are full of quality. So personally, I can't see anything other than a Liverpool win. But I don't think it will be uh, a massive scoreline. I think it will be quite close.
0: I asked Kelly in the last show what her top three would be, not necessarily in any particular order. She said it would be Arsenal, Liverpool and Chelsea. I said it would be Arsenal, Liverpool, Knox County. Hamish didn't even go for a top three, he just said Everton were going to win the league because he was contractually obliged to do so. If you had to pick a top three in no particular order, what would it be?
1: That's a tough one. Um, Liverpool, Chelsea, I'm going to throw Notts County in there, I think
0: very similar to what we've gone for but mixing it up a little bit so as i mentioned earlier we do have an interview with dave edmondson who has just taken over the role at bristol academy taken over from mark sampson so i talked to him about his hopes for the upcoming season and a little bit about his time out in melbourne so here he is i'm delighted to be joined by dave edmondson i'm interviewing him in the leafy suburbs of hertfordshire in Berkhamsted. Dave, a bit far-fetched from the sunny skies of melbourne how are you settling in
2: yeah, it is. It's very different to uh, Melbourne, but it's uh, it's good. You know, I've been here, I don't know what it is now, to be honest. The time's flown probably, I think it's at least a month now. And, um, yeah, it's good. The girls are a, a great bunch to work with and it's, um, you know, we're starting to get what we what we want to do. And, um, yeah, I settled in now. Yeah, definitely. By the time this interview comes out, WSL
0: season will be a few days away. From what you've seen so far, has it backed up your decision to leave Australia and, and come back to England?
2: Yeah, it has, you know, it's... Um, in terms of standard of the league, uh, you know, it's very similar to the W League, and in fact, it's very different. But the standard's similar. It's just the way the games played and everything is just a little bit different. And um, uh, but in terms of the organisation and, and uh, you know the way the league is going, then very much so, it's uh, it's backed up my decision. Yeah. You come here having just won the W League with Melbourne. Obviously,
0: you come with that winning mentality. Is it now a case of installing it into this Bristol team who came so close last season to winning the WSL?
2: Yeah, very much so. You know, not just the winning mentality, but the the way I want the way I want us to play. I think we we very much did that with Melbourne. That it was trying to trying to hit the two things at the same time. Really, you know, yes, you want to win every game, but um, I very much believe, you know, I've got a philosophy of the way the game should be played, and um, I want to win games the right way, or in my opinion, the right way, and that's, you know, that's that's very possession-based, proactive game of football, and, and we did that with Melbourne, and and you know, it's it's a it's a very similar situation to here that they lost in the grand final the year before and then we, we turned it around and and went that one step further so uh, that is the goal here um, but it's a dual goal to, to you know to play to play the attractive positive football um, and get the results at the same time Mark Sampson is
0: renowned from his time here for bringing young players through. I spoke to BT Goad on one of our previous shows and she spoke very highly of how you've helped her develop her career. Is that something you want to try and continue over here at Bristol, bringing the young players through and making sure they're coming into the first team?
2: Yeah, again, very much so. And that was one of the, to be honest, that was one of the big selling points of Bristol, uh, that the club has got that philosophy and it's got that um, desire to bring the players through. Um, and I think, particularly in the women's game, it's vital. Um, you know, the club, clubs don't have huge amounts of money to go out and buy new teams every year and superstar players. So you've got to produce them yourself. Um, and I think BT, you know, she was a shining example of, of what you can do that as a 16-year-old girl who, um, you know, still at school, doing very well academically, um, but very committed to a football and by the by, the end of the season by the end of that, her first W League season she was a vital member in, in a very successful team and surrounded by the likes of Fishlock and Davana and Lauren Barnes and Steph Catley it was fantastic for them as well you know that they um, they've got four or five coaches on the pitch next to them all the time so as well as my input um, there's the input from those players and you know we've got similar here with um, Nats and Laura Del Rio and and young players, you know, Jem and Jars at the back, very gifted players. Um, and if we've got 16-, 17-, 18-year-old girls who can come through alongside them, then it's great for the club and it, and it's, um, and it's got, it has to be what we're, what we're trying to do. And, and that's what we'll try and do this season and in future seasons as well. Just mention those four players at Melbourne,
0: all going to be playing in the NWSL this year. That's a real testament to the, the squad that you had at down in in the W League. Looking at what you've got at Bristol, obviously you've lost a couple in Siobhan Chamberlain and um, Lucy Staniforth, but brought in Mary Epps, who's just come in recently, and Sophie Ingle. Just seen Sophie Ingle recently play against Watford Ladies. A very composed in midfield, very comfortable. Uh, what are your sort of hopes going forward, and you know what qualities you think those two will will bring to your team?
2: Yeah, you know, obviously Mary was uh, with Siobhan leaving we we really had to find a good goalkeeper to replace Siobhan and and I think in Mary we've got that um, and again she really fits with with our club dynamic and, and the way we want to move forward, you know, she's a young keeper with lots of potential um, she made a couple of good saves today and, and you know, in her first game here and she's, she's influenced the players around her as well, so that's, that's a real positive. Uh, Sophie I couldn't agree more with, you know, she's a fantastic acquisition this season and um, can play in a number of positions and um, is a top quality player. Probably doesn't always believe it herself at times, um, but if we, you know, that's that's one thing we'll look to work on and get a bit more self-belief in her because I think, you know, she's shown today and she's shown in in, in the preseason that we've done that uh, technically she's the player type of player that I'm looking for and and I think can really influence games as we move forward and you know she's. I saw her play for Wales a couple of weeks ago and she's the same player there, you know, so even at, um, I don't think we've seen the best of Sophie yet, but um, when we do, uh, I think other teams need to watch out because I think she'll, be, she fits my style of football, she fits in really well with the rest of the girls and I think we can we can see some good things from Sophie this year.
0: A couple of the ex-girls from Melbourne, Caitlin Friend, Katie Hoyle will be playing for Notts County, so you're going to be coming up against them. Any chance we might see a few of them coming to Bristol over the course of your time here?
2: Um, it's always a possibility. Obviously, the club at the moment can't sign any non-EU players. Uh, we need to get some paperwork done to solve that issue. But then, yeah, obviously, my contacts in in Australia and New Zealand and um, and within Asian football, it's um, it certainly opens up those those pathways. And there's some some fantastic footballers out there. Caitlin and Katie and Anna Green from New Zealand, Betsy Hassett, who's at Manchester City. You know, there's some good players there, and if it fits what we want, then the possibilities there. But uh, as you say, the, f- the first look is what we got in our centre of excellence and what we got in our um, development squad, and um, we'll look close to home first. But um, there's always the possibility of some players coming from from that side of the world, because again, the W League fits in perfectly with FAWSL. Which is probably why you see so many of them here, and yeah, the, the opportunity opportunities there, and if we can if we can make it work, then we will do.
0: I guess my final question: Bristol obviously finished runners up in the league last year. Teams around you: Knotts County, Man City, Liverpool, all strengthening. Chelsea, another. What's the biggest challenge for you, and and I guess how excited are you for the upcoming season?
2: Uh, very excited, to be honest. You know, I always as excited about, excited about this game today you know I, i'm excited about going to trainings to be honest because the girls are great and and they are really trying to um trying to take on board what i'm asking of them it, it probably is quite different to what they've done before and it takes a bit of bravery to do it as well and and they've really shown that so i, I think the big challenge really is just is keeping is keeping that faith whether when things don't go right because uh, it is different and um you know I'm, I'm probably asking a little bit more of certain players so the the challenge really is if results don't go right straight away is just keeping that belief and and getting that trust in in the way we want to play um i think the girls can see the the benefits of the way we're trying to play and i'm sure results will come at the right times as well and and, and it'll be you know it's an exciting season for everyone we've got uh, champions league at the end of the year as well and you know really that's I guess that level of football is where I'm pitching us at, you know. And, and for me, that's 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 where this style of football. You've got to play this style of football. You know, you don't go and play your potsdams and your Wolfsburg's and your and your leons, hoping that you can smash it in behind and chase them down because it it just won't happen. Um, so if we can develop our style of football and we can become, you know, we're known for it and we're known, you know. There's no secrets, you know. Chelsea Chelsea were here watching today and, and that's fine by me because there's no secrets because um, I'll openly say that, that this is the way we're going to play and we just need to make sure that we're good enough to do it under pressure um, and keep the faith in the way that we play and, and, and results will come. It's been a pleasure, thank you very much for your time. Wish you well for your first game of the season against Chelsea
0: and we'll certainly be monitoring the progress over the course of the year.
2: Cool, thank you very much. The
0: women's Football Podcast. Want more views from those in the game? Read the blog at the WF For this section of the show I'm gonna give Helen a little bit of a break and I'm gonna have a look at what's been going on in Europe. So I'm gonna start in France and this past weekend. The quarterfinals of the Coupe de France actually did take place and we now know our semi-final teams uh, they will be JVC, Soya, PSG and Olympique Lyonnais. PSG and Olympique Lyonnais particularly going through with big scores so those will be our semi-final lineup. In Germany it continues to be very very close between the top three. Potsdam, Frankfurt and Wolfsburg are separated by just a few points Bayern Munich not completely out of it, but probably a little bit late to make a charge for the title with seven games remaining in the league. Much like the NWSL and the FAWSL, the Damallsvenskan also kicked off this weekend and there was a shock initially because Christian Stad managed to overcome Tiroso, who are of course in the semi-finals of the European Champions League 2-0. Um, Tiroso did have a number of players missing, including Marta and Caroline Sager, and they were only able to put... Kristen Press and Whitney Engen on the bench. But still, it's a bit of a shock, and obviously, it means that they do have some catching up to do initially. Champions Rosengard were able to win 4 0 away in AIK, and our Swedish correspondent, Linda Eriksson, was at the game, and she managed to have a chat with Anita Asante. So here she is.
1: It's nice to know that, you know, we're considered favourites, and we hope to prove that every game. So I think, you know, if you look at it, we would have said so but not really knowing their situation. Um, I think um, other clubs like Linköping finished really strong last season and I'm sure they would have built on what they had last year. So they will be also um, tough rivals, I think, for us. Um, and perhaps Yota you know, they've made some uh, additions to their team, um, more attack and fall. So there's at least two or three clubs uh, that could rival us this season.
0: So that was Anita Asante on Rosenghal's 4-0 win away at AIK. Elsewhere, there were also wins for Gothenburg, who were comfortable 5-0 winners away from home, while Pitea and Umir were also winners on the opening weekend of the Swedish season. So that rounds up what's been going on in Europe. I'm now delighted to be joined by Sarah Gerke of thesoccerdesk.com. We're going to have a little chat about the NWSL. So Sarah, thank you for joining me. Opening weekend, we've been waiting a long time. No real surprises, but entertaining to open the season.
4: I think the games on Saturday were more surprising than the games on Sunday. I think a lot of people expected uh, FC Kansas City and Portland to really dominate on Saturday, and they didn't. Uh, FC KC tied against Sky Blue at home, 1-1, and then the Portland just you know, barely beat Uh, Houston 1-0 in Houston so I think that was definitely surprising on Sunday uh, it was a little bit more as expected the Flash were a solid uh, team last year they're a solid team this year and they beat Washington fairly easily 3-1 and then the rain cruised uh, very easily to a 3-0 victory over Boston.
0: Do Americans now know who Kim Little is judging on her performance the other night?
4: Yeah, she made quite the impression. Uh, both Kim Little and Vicky Lozada really made a statement in their NWSL debuts, uh, making huge impacts for their club their first week. And you know, what's interesting is actually both just a couple of days ago played in uh, international World Cup qualifiers to, so to you know fly halfway across the world, play for your national team, fly all the way back have a little bit of practice and then have that type of performance I mean the NWSL fans are in for a treat.
0: Would it be fair to say looking at the Houston Portland game I watched pretty much all four games over the course of the weekend if Houston had had a Melissa Tancredi who was obviously on their books before they traded her they might have actually got something out of the Portland game because they created chances but as harsh as it sounds they were a little bit wasteful in front of goal weren't they?
4: They were absolutely wasteful in front of goal, and I think that's you know largely attributable to their young squad uh, in that they're still developing and still working on being more dangerous when they do get looks at goal. But Tancredi is coming in midseason. She hasn't played internationally uh, for a while now. She hasn't been playing so- uh, regular soccer for a while, so I, I don't really think Tancredi. Ken Crady was going to make the difference and you know the amount of offensive attack that they were able to generate on Saturday was frankly surprising given uh you know the injury issues that their squad had both on Saturday night and leading up to their first game and also how young they are so I think that they have a lot of great things to take away um from the the
0: zero to one loss uh and they'll be improving throughout the season. And what about FC Casey and Sky Blue? What was the uh, the overall impression of them? Obviously, FC Casey missing Desiree Scott and Lauren Sesselman, the two Canadian internationals who've moved on to pastures new. Sky Blue, I thought, looked quite impressive. I think they controlled the game at, in, at, in patches. Um, I think they were worthy of their one-all draw. I wasn't sure what your view on that was.
4: Um, I, I think FC Kansas City had a little bit more control, so overall I would have expected uh, Kansas City to, to win the game, but Sky Blue really dug in and uh, didn't allow that second goal uh, to be scored by uh, Kansas City but I would say from an offensive perspective uh, Sky Blue I mean they they capitalized on a defensive error from Casey but I I wouldn't really say that they had uh, the amount of quality kind of build-up plays and attacks at goal uh, in the way that um, FC Casey did.
0: What was your overriding impression of Washington? We know that they struggled last year finished bottom of the league but although they lost the game 3-1 I was encouraged by some of the play that that they were able to produce and I think that moving forward when those players have settled they, they will be able to compete with the rest of the league.
4: Yeah, I think, I think it was kind of a tale of two halves. Uh, so for about the first 50 minutes, Washington was looking pretty good. Jody Taylor was making some good runs, stretching the defense, uh, creating some opportunities, but there were a couple of uh, chances that she had and that other players had that they just didn't capitalize on. I think going into half, uh, they shouldn't have been one down. They should have been 1-1 or potentially 2-1. Uh, and then they equalized in the second half, which was great, but that only lasted for two minutes. Uh, and and then Western New York uh, struck again and went up 2-1. And at that point, it really seemed like the spirit, I mean, I don't want to say gave up, but they, they really reverted to that mentality of last year of just you know trying to lock it down and not let the Flash or other teams run up the score on them. They didn't really seem to have a, you know an offensive answer or attack. Once they went down two-one, and after the game, uh, Coach Parsons pointed out that he felt the exact same way. He felt that, you know, they they weren't they didn't have that going that go all out mentality. They they really seemed defeated, and he said that that's something that you know they're going to go straight to work on uh, this week, looking ahead because they're going to be playing a a good team next week in FC Kansas City.
0: Yeah, I know he was quite critical of the attitude when they went two-one down. I'm sure that'll be something that they're working on, and obviously. Seattle Ray and Boston Breakers. we mentioned briefly earlier, it was, I think Boston had their chances. Obviously, the, the Joanna Lohman effort that came off the underside of the bar could have gone either way. It was so, so close to the whole ball being over. But I think looking at close images, it was probably just just the right decision by the linesman and the referee. But I think after that, it kind of, the second half especially, Seattle really came into their own, didn't they? I mean, Kim Little, Regan Rapino, Sidney LaRue, they were pulling the Boston defence all over the place, weren't they? And then... Naomi Kawasumi came on in this, you know the last what twenty twenty five minutes, and her delivery and her play in that period that she was in was just unreal, wasn't it?
4: Yeah, absolutely. I mean if you just look at it from a stats perspective, Seattle had uh, i think twenty four shots to Boston's four uh so there's no doubt that they dominated offensively uh i think what was encouraging for seattle even though they maybe weren't up against the strongest opponent is that their attacks were coming from all over the field uh fishlock providing those assists uh little um being on the attack rapino scoring the third goal larue creating space i think you know they they were able to effectively spread out how they were attacking the boston uh defense are attacking them defensively. So I think that that was really encouraging because sometimes, you know, in a game where you are dominating, it, it's hard to see maybe where your strengths are and what you can really take from the game. But I think that that was
0: positive for the rain. Yeah, absolutely. I think it was a certainly a, an interesting opening weekend. Not too many surprises, but I'm sure that going forward, we're going to see some shock results, more goals, and, and even more decisions that will probably affect games that we wouldn't want to see. But uh, Sarah, thank you for joining me. Always a pleasure. Thank you very much. The Women's Football Podcast. Shining a light on the women's game. Helen, we're nearly towards the end of the show, but obviously we can't have you on without chatting a little bit about you and what's coming up for you. We obviously know that you're not going to be playing this season um, due to uh, the arrival or pending arrival of your first child there's been discussions in the past about the support that women's footballers get when they have children I mean I'm sure that you're not going to come on here and start criticizing Reading because I'm sure that they've been very supportive but what was their reaction when you told them that you wouldn't be playing for them this season and how supportive have they been?
1: Well lucky for me I I know Jane Nudlow well and you know it, it probably didn't come as a surprise to her because I had discussions with her before I signed and you know as a friend i knew i could talk to her and and be honest with her so um although she was she was pleased for me as a friend i think she was a little bit gutted that that she'd be losing one of her players for the season um but at the same time i know that she's got a lot about her and i know that she'll she'll be trying to get players in and and you know whether it's a youngster or a new player there'll be someone coming in to play, play in that position and and do very well um, for Reading this season so I, th- I think she was pleased for me even if she was a little bit gutted but but generally the reaction's been fantastic and everyone's been very supportive and, and just wishing me well to be honest so I'm pleased with how it went
0: Now I told people in advance that you were coming on the show and I put it out there for people to ask you a question so I got a few in so I'm going to rattle through them and, and see what we've got so the first question I got was from Nigel Hoyle who asked what are realistic prospects for Reading women this season?
1: Um, I think to begin with it's going to be to establish themselves as as a top half team you know the early games in the season are going to be important to, to get a good momentum going and try and get as many points on the board as possible and you know if that goes well then, then there's definitely the talent in the squad to push on and you know perhaps look at promotion but I think the initial aims for the season are just to establish themselves in the league. Um, it's a new league for us uh, and the players, a lot of whom haven't played at this level yet. So, you know, the talent's there, but I think we need the belief and the, mentality, the right mentality to push on. Promotion can be achieved, but it's sort of take each game as it comes. Very big cliche, but I think that's the way it needs to be for Reading this year.
0: We all know you footballers love dealing in cliches. houses it's just how you roll, isn't it, really? Next question is from West Wales Club Development. Now, I'm pretty certain I know who this is. I believe it's Jamie Sherwood, who obviously you all know well. And he's asked the question that you were laughing about earlier. Do you want a boy or a girl? And will he or she play for Wales or England? Hashtag tough question.
1: It is a tough question, but I think the answer is probably taken out of my hands. Um Unfortunately, because I qualify for Wales through my grandparents, I think any child of mine will have to be born there to, to be able to play. Which seems a bit odd if your mum's played for Wales for her whole career, that you can't then do the same. But, you know, if if I can manage to hop over the Seven Bridge around the 1st of October and, and give birth over there, then great, he or she will play for Wales, that's for sure. As for a boy or girl, I don't mind as long as he's he or she's happy, happy and healthy, um, we don't mind whether we have a boy or a girl. But we'll support them in whatever they do, football, any other sport. England, Wales, you know, we'll be behind them whatever happens.
0: Good work, like it. Now I've got two questions from Julia Westhead. I'll let her off. We'll class it as a supplementary question to the first one. So the first one she asked was, "Who was your biggest inspiration growing up?"
1: When I was growing up, there weren't too many female players that I knew of. Um, Obviously, the media wasn't so hot on women's football, so I'd have to go for someone like Michael Owen. Um, When he burst onto the scene for Liverpool, he's the sort of player I wanted to be you know, a little bit of pace and just getting on the end of things in the box, one on ones, little tappings, taking goals here and there from, you know, scraps and things like that. So I'd probably say someone like Michael Owen.
0: Julia also asks, and we discussed this beforehand because I know you needed a bit of time to think about it, which players in the WSL2 would you pick for your five-a-side team?
1: See, that's a tough one. I could go with two angles. I could go for a Welsh WSL2 side, which I think would do pretty well, in which case I'd go for Nikki in goal, obviously my Wales and in teammate. I'd have Kylie at the back, who I believe is signed for Millwall. Um, I'd then have... Katie Sherwood and Blazard in the middle with Sarah Wiltshire up top. I think that would cause quite a few teams some problems, some good players, some good defenders, and a top class keeper in that side. So, yeah, I'd go for that. Wouldn't have yourself? I can't play at the moment, can I? So, I wouldn't be much use rolling around on the five a side pitch.
0: (laughs) The Women's Football Podcast, shining a light on the women's game. Okay, so that was Helen giving us a little insight into her career and answering your questions. And that brings us to the end of the show. Helen, thank you very much for joining me. I need to rattle off some of the ways that you can get in touch with us. Uh, we are on at WFPod on Twitter. If you wish to listen to us on iTunes, you can do. Just click uh, onto iTunes and search for Women's Football Podcast. Uh, we're not on Facebook because I don't have time to use Facebook. Uh, we're on Sport Lobster, although I need to use that a bit more. We're on sportlobster.com forward slash WFPod and we have a blog which is the wfblog.wordpress.com a blog has just gone up from laura harvey i've got one from Gemma bonner that will be going up so please do have a look at that but helen have you enjoyed your time on the show would you come back and help me out again
1: i have it's been great um always like talking about women's football so yeah i'll come back anytime
0: even if it is with a novice like me but obviously that is us wrapping up so thank you very much all and i will catch up with you in a couple of weeks with a new guest presenter The women's football podcast, shining a light on the women's game.